Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. This is Newsroom Robots, the podcast where we explore the intersection of artificial intelligence and the news industry. I'm Nikita Roy, data scientist, media entrepreneur, and one of the many founders currently building their ventures at the Harvard Innovation Labs. On the Newsroom Robots, I'm excited to bring you insightful conversations with industry experts about how AI is impacting the way we do journalism. Joining me on the show today is Nick Diakopoulos. Nick is a communication studies and computer science professor at Northwestern University, where he directs the computational journalism lab and is director of graduate studies for the technology and social behavior doctoral program. He's also the author of the award-winning book, Automating the News, How Algorithms Are Rewriting the Media, published by Harvard University Press. His research focuses on computational journalism, including automation and algorithms in news production and algorithmic accountability and transparency. In today's episode, Nick shares his expert insights on the opportunities that fine-tuning large language models offer for news organizations and the impact of generative AI on news production and the broader information ecosystem. I've been looking forward to having you on the podcast. Welcome to Newsroom Robots. Thanks so much for having me. Nick, I've had so many technical questions come in from listeners, and I'm really excited to get into all of that today about generative AI. And one of the main things that I'm excited about is also your book, Automating the News, was one of the foundational books that gave me a really deep understanding of how AI is being used in the news already. Highly recommend listeners check that out. And I want to get into a few of those concepts as well. But let's start with your most recent research project that you took on the beginning of this year, the Generative AI in the Newsroom Project. You've come out with so many different case studies with different newsrooms trying out generative AI, a lot of discussion regarding the legal implications, the ethical questions that need to be asked. So I want to start with that 
research project that you've been doing, what's been some of the biggest use cases you've seen journalists using generative AI for? Yeah, thanks so much for starting us there. So generative AI in the newsroom project I launched back in January, really as just a, a chance to try to collaboratively think through how newsrooms could or should be using generative AI in, in responsible ways in news production. And I sort of issued this challenge call for folks to pitch me ideas of how they would want to use generative AI for various news production tasks. And then I said, oh, you know, I'm going to make myself available to as kind of a technical consultant to help talk through some of these use cases. And people pitched all kinds of really interesting projects and ideas. I think some of the ones that matured into publishable blog posts are there on the on the site for everyone to read. Things like summarization is always a popular one that's actually came up in a couple of different ways in terms of uh, what's written up on the blog. One kind of summarizing to rewrite content, another to summarize documents that can be then embedded into other larger publishing workflows. So so summarization is a big one. SEO and headline writing, another big one people like to think about. Also, things like um, copywriting and copy editing. We had a project from uh, Karen De La Haz in uh, Colombia working on trying to figure out if uh, Spanish language news content could be copy edited using generative AI. And copy editing in general, I think, is another one of those kind of popular use cases where people who are looking at the technology, they're like, oh, this technology is really good at language. Let's see if it can do some copy editing for us. And it turns out that it's actually pretty good, you know, if you can kind of give it the rules for copy editing and often point out some of the issues that are, that are going on with text. So that's another popular use case. So th those are some of the big ones. And then, of course, there's many other very creative directions that people have taken it. So you wrote a post about um, developing quiz questions, which I thought was really cool and a, kind of a, an interesting way to think about engaged journalism. I've had people writing about illustration and thinking about personalization and thinking about data journalism and how to maybe get these models involved in helping us generate charts and graphs and analyze data and things like that. So I still think we're kind of in the phase where we're trying to figure out exactly where the utility is, but it's it's starting to clarify a little bit. We're seeing yeah, headlines, summarization, copy editing. Those seem like they're starting to rise to the to the top of, yeah, we think that there's some actual value we can get out of these models for those things. Yeah. And as we're in this phase of trying to figure out what generative AI could be useful for, how do you think publishers should really be thinking about large language models, weighing like their risks versus their benefits and how it should fit into their newsrooms? Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just take a, a quick minute to plug a great article we published yesterday on the blog on this topic. So David Caswell wrote this really, really expansive essay about news organization strategy about generative AI. Uh, the title of the essay is AI and News, What's Next? In case folks want to go Google for it. But David really covers different strategic approaches around efficiency, thinking about developing new products, differentiation of products. If you want to train your own model, how to think about that, chatbots, whether or not those are kind of a viable approach and, and so on. And he also talks through different practical aspects like how you can deploy generative AI in the back office or more forward-facing applications, 
differentiating kind of language tasks versus knowledge tasks, tasks for news gathering, tasks for content transformation, and so on. And I think he's got some really great insights also on things like infrastructure. So what do you need to build to support these kinds of strategies around generative AI? Like you need prompt management or you need, you know, what do you need for user interfaces? What do you need to be able to serve personalized content? All this kind of stuff. Anyway, there's there's lots more in the essay. And, and so I hope folks will go give it a read. It is pretty long, but I think it's it's worth your time. It's an incredible read. Yes, I agree. <laughs> and my take on that is that, you know, and I kind of alluded to this, I think we're still relatively early stages with, with the technology itself. And of course, the technology is a moving target and it's constantly evolving. But there's a literal gold rush going on right now as companies try to figure out how to monetize these technologies. People are throwing a lot of spaghetti at the wall and they're trying to figure out what, what's going to stick. It's clear that these models are creating some value across a range of tasks. But I think the, the first challenge is going to be to figure out which tasks can benefit the most. And also how to, how to think about designing those tasks, hybridize human workers together with AI generative models in order to produce output of high quality to make sure that it's, it's really at the quality expectation where you would want it. So I think there's some technology assessment and evaluation that still needs to happen. But once it becomes more clear, I think, where there's demonstrable value in journalism, I think then the next stage will be kind of integrating those solutions into larger news production workflows. So I don't think the future of LLMs in journalism is that everyone needs to be an expert prompter, a prompt engineer, or even a prompt designer. I differentiate between prompt writing, prompt designing, prompt engineering in terms of like level of expertise, but I don't think everyone needs to be a prompt designer or prompt engineer. How does that differ? Yeah. So I think of prompt writing as kind of the initial stage where you're, you know, there were chat GPT, you're trying out a task, you're seeing how the model responds. Maybe it's not terribly systematic in terms of the responses that you're getting it, uh, getting from the model. Prompt designing is, you know, I think of a designer or someone with intent, someone with goals, and someone who knows how to work with a particular design material. So the design material here being generative AI, where you can be very deliberate in how you're prompting and what you expect the AI to do when you prompt it in a particular way. So it's maybe a slightly more sophisticated approach to prompting. Maybe you're iterating a lot more, you're refining prompts. And then prompt engineering is sort of it could be like full on data science, you know, where you're where you're really looking in detail very systematically at prompts. Maybe you're doing something in vector space, you know, because all the prompts get converted to numbers immediately so the AI can understand them. So, you know, maybe you're optimizing something in that in that vector space and so on. So obviously there's a lot of potential technical detail that can come in there. And I think you will have some specialists who develop prompts and evaluate fine-tuned models and are prompt engineers using you know, specialized training data and so on. But then I think probably all of that work, all those prompts, all those fine-tuned models, all those evaluations of models will probably get built into other tools or integrated into CMS services so that they can be accessed in the workflows of of journalists who maybe don't have all of that more prompt design and prompt engineering kind of knowledge, but where they can still benefit from other people who have refined those technologies so that they're useful. 
Yeah, like prompt engineering really requires a lot of thought and careful evaluation in terms of how you can continuously improve the prompts rather than just writing it once. And so there's, I like that distinction that you've brought about between the different levels of prompting skills that you need to have. Talking about that, one of the biggest questions um, people ask me, and they've always wanted to hear somebody on the podcast talk about this in depth, so I I got the perfect person to do this, is they say that I have my newsroom data and I have all of these LLMs. What should I do? What can I do with fine-tuning these large language models and train them specifically on my newsroom data? And how labor and cost-intensive would this be? Yeah, so I think there's a couple ways to think about this. I think about a news discovery kind of task, right? Where maybe you want to think about using LLMs for pattern recognition. And there's some kind of pattern in the world that you want to be able to look for in a pile of documents or a pile of internet web pages, scrapes, or something like that. And you kind of want to set up a model so that it can go look for that thing in that document set and bring it back to you. And I think that's kind of a killer app for journalism, actually. If you could kind of describe the story you're looking for and then set the AI loose to look for that pattern, I think that's awesome. And I think, of course, it's not quite that simple. You still need people to synthesize the story. But I think AI could probably help a lot with scouring documents for hints. So, you know, you asked about fine-tuning models and what the resource needs would be for for something like that. I'm not sure that you necessarily need fine tuning out of the box for that. So, you know, one thing I've been playing with is like, how far can you push a good prompt to be able to do something like news discovery? Like if you plug in very explicit criteria of, of newsworthiness, like if you're a global organization and you're looking for documents that bring in a global perspective or that have some kind of global impact, Maybe you plug that in as like a specific news criteria and you say, I'm only looking for documents that somehow can be expanded to some global perspective. So how far can you push that? And usually you can push it pretty far, but I think at some point you're like, hmm, should I, should I fine tune? Is there maybe something implicit in the news judgments that are being made about what is newsworthy and, and what I want to discover that's newsworthy that would be implicitly embedded in the data that I have? So, of course, the challenge there is, you know, you've got to come up with a good data set. You've got to be able to define, in this case, like what is newsworthy for your newsroom, create a data set of some set of examples, maybe 50 or 100 could be enough to to start fine tuning and then running through that. And in terms of the level of effort, I think a lot of the effort, honestly, is in that data production stage is figuring out how do I generate high quality data a small set of high quality examples that I could then plug into a fine tuning process. Yeah, I actually have a a student now who's been working on fine tuning the Llama 2 model. And actually all it took was just honestly like paying for Google Collab. I think it's 20 or $30 a month. You get access to a GPU and he was able to, to fine tune the model very quickly on a Google Collab. And most of the time he spent in the project so far has been in getting the data in the right form to be able to do that. So that's why I say I think that's where kind of most of the cost is going to come in. And and the actual computational power to fine tune is relatively small in comparison. Yeah, like fine tuning the model for just like a specific task is something that you could also probably now with like cloud expanding their number of like token limits, 
you could also put in a lot more information in those kinds of models to help them understand how you want them to pick up on certain nuances and then give the output that you want. There's also the other side of like using LLMs, which is like the retrieval augmented generation, which is just giving them a database of your own content and getting the foundational model to pull out relevant data from the model that base that you give it. How do you think newsrooms can think about use cases for that is and how should it fit into how people are thinking about using LLMs? Yeah, I mean, I think retrieval augmented generation RAG, it can be a really nice model for how newsrooms can leverage the power of generative AI. So, you know, we could think about knowledge tasks and language tasks and LLMs are really language machines. Of course, they learn knowledge because they've been trained on so much other content that they, they they sort of can't help but learn some knowledge. But of course, this is where the issue of hallucination comes in and where the issues of accuracy of that knowledge come in. And, you know, knowledge changes over time, information changes over time, and the knowledge that it was trained on two years ago now is not updated. And that can have real ramifications for journalism. So there might be some use cases where you can use an out-of-the-box LLM for knowledge tasks and where it can have some value. I don't want to entirely dismiss that, but but really I think the power is in manipulating language. And so what retrieval augmented generation does is it says, well, I have a bunch of documents already and let me retrieve some subset of those documents that are relative to the task I currently have. And let me you leverage the language manipulation power of these models to then take those documents and and rework them and you know either extract the knowledge from those documents or just work with those documents at the language level. And the value here, of course, is that instead of relying on the knowledge that has been implicitly encoded in the, in the base model, you can constantly pull in the latest, most updated, relevant documents and use those in the context of generating new content. And so to some extent mitigates accuracy issues. I mean, I don't want to say that it entirely eliminates that. It's, it's not that the model can't still hallucinate, but it is a way to ground the model in content also that you trust and that you may be controlled. So if you have vetted documents or very high quality, closely edited documents, that you can pull in and retrieve, then you can have a little bit higher confidence, I think, in the in the output, at least higher confidence in the quality of the knowledge that the output is going to be based on. So I think there is absolutely an approach that could be useful for, for journalism and for newsrooms. And we're talking about all of these different ways and how we can use existing models. We have ChatGPT and like cloud and all of those other models that are hosted and the issue of privacy is like a big concern that publishers have. Do you see for us to go about mitigating that issue of privacy, the, it's more important to maybe have models hosted on your own servers. Do you see like that being a future for newsrooms to have their own like Llama 2 model deployed on their own server or any of these like open source models that are out there? Is that the approach that we should be thinking more about? Yeah, I mean, I think it kind of boils down to like, what exactly is the privacy sensitivity? If you're thinking about something like confidentiality, where you have information from sources, which is not public, or document sources, which are not public, 
even though in open AI's terms of use, and you should always read the terms of use. We have a, a great blog post on the blog about how to think about terms of use, but you should always read those. But even if you're, if you're opted out sharing your data with OpenAI for training its own systems, I mean, you are still sharing some confidential information. And so depending on sort of the risk or threat model, you might say, well, I just simply don't want this confidential information leaving my own servers. And of course, there's various different ways to think about that. You know, there's servers that your organization controls in the cloud which are actually owned by some other company. That's one uh, risk model. And then there's, if you're really concerned about risk, you wanna have your own servers on premise that are physically controlled by your organization so that you know there's sort of no risk of, of data leakage or much, much lower risk of data leakage. It really kind of just depends on the use case, I would say. I think there's some use cases where it's kind of like, eh, probably not that big a deal where there, whereas maybe in other use cases, maybe investigative scenarios, you want to lock it down a little bit more and maybe you don't want to share any confidential information with third parties or with third party models and where it would make a lot more sense to have an open source model that's been fine-tuned or, or not. It could be an out-of-the-box open source model that you're using locally on your data. So just on your computer as well, maybe for different cases like investigative journalism or depending on... Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. How sensitive the data you're dealing with uh, could really help out in that way. Another like thought and question that's discussion that people have been having in a lot of places that I've been in recently has been this thought of creating a large language model, pre-training it specifically for the news industry because of concerns of like, we don't know where the large language models are getting their data from, what kind of bias and must be there in the data. And I think that's a really expensive route to go forth with. And But I wanted to get your thoughts in terms of like how we should be thinking about like pre-training and LLM. Are there scenarios in which that might make sense or is that something fine-tuning and dealing with out-of-the-box open source models are more of a easy way and more convenient for us to get into the space? It's a great question. And I think there's some really good reasons not to go down the path of pre-training a bespoke model for, for the news industry or for your own individual news publication. You know, I think a lot of the power of a model like GPT-4 actually comes from a the fact that it's been trained on such a breadth of material 
So, you know, if you think about its ability to like mimic writing genres or styles, that's because of all of the data that it's been exposed to that's been packed into its, its training material. And, you know, training these models is very capital intensive and also data science intensive. And I don't know, maybe it seems easy, but Google has been overclocking itself trying to catch up with OpenAI. And there are big teams working on this. And the maintenance is really no joke, keeping these models maintained. And that's also to say nothing of the coming potential regulatory burden that is going to be placed on model providers. So in the EU's AI Act, the current draft, which is still in its final stages of negotiation, hasn't been entirely finalized. But, you know, there may be requirements placed on providers of models, which create a a lot of resource considerations in terms of uh, the amount of work that needs to be done to be transparent about those models and so on and to evaluate them appropriately so that they're legally adherent. And, you know, there's a lot of effort that goes into making pre-trained models not spew totally illegal content that violates, you know, basic content moderation guidelines. I mean, and you can always push these models to find some niche or corner case where it's still failing that. But a lot of effort has gone into cleaning them up, you know, making sure that they, they don't spew hatred everywhere. And that takes a lot of work. I mean, you know, maybe people underestimate, but it's a lot of work. It's ongoing work. It's it's almost like maintenance work. You need to make sure every new version of the pre-trained model is adherent to all of these kinds of standards and expectations for content moderation and so on. So I think there's a lot of reasons not to pre-train your own model. I mean, we've heard about Bloomberg, Bloomberg GPT. There may be some very narrow cases where it could make sense. I'm actually not entirely convinced it makes sense for Bloomberg. I mean, I guess we need to hear from Bloomberg and see what kind of value they're seeing in the use of the model. From what I know, it's still only internally available. But, you know, they have a lot of proprietary financial data, specific data to their niche of content. And maybe they're finding unique ways to leverage that in in training their own model. So I don't want to entirely rule it out, but I'm more on the side of, I think the news publishers should be thinking about fine-tuning models rather than pre-training models. Uh, another thing to think about and also understand is that, you know, when we talk about pre-trained models, it's slightly misleading because there's actually already all kinds of fine-tuning that's gone into the pre-trained model that you're getting from OpenAI, for instance. So, you know, there's instruction tuning because if you just pre-train a model on predicting the next word, which is the essential algorithm that they're optimizing for, the model doesn't actually follow your instructions very well. Like you would say, like summarize this thing and like maybe sometimes it would summarize it, maybe maybe sometimes it wouldn't know what you were talking about. So they've already done like a lot of fine tuning to like get it to follow your instructions. That's built in now to their quote unquote pre-trained model. It's not really the base model, it's already been fine tuned and so if you were going to go pre-train your own model, you would also need to think about those kinds of fine-tuning steps that are necessary to just make it useful to users. So I think it's a lot of work to go down that route, not saying it couldn't be something to do for maybe the really large news organizations. And I think there's something that would be really powerful at an abstract level about having a model that's, say, trained on only you know licensed news data so that you could be confident that you were respecting people's say intellectual property 
if you don't think that uh, it's fair use to have trained on all the internet content that they that they scraped. So I think there there could be other kinds of arguments you would make for wanting to pre-train a model. But if the industry were serious about that, they would need to be thinking about a multi-million dollar, probably eight-figure level, millions, tens of millions of dollars over time to train and sustain that kind of model. So it's absolutely not a cheap thing to do. It's extremely capital intensive and labor intensive. You need the expertise and I mean, OpenAI, Google, they're having teams dedicated to this and they've been working on it for years to get it to the level it is today too. So it's interesting to hear your perspective on that. And another thing is, as we are getting into this era of a lot of LLMs, a lot of conversations regarding how AI is being used in the newsroom, it's been used in the newsroom way before 2023, since generative AI you know, wrote a whole book before this came out on how AI has been used in automating the news. But one question that people I think are having a lot more is how is this relationship between journalists and newsroom AI going to look like? And you spoke about this a bit about hybrid journalism and what that would look like. So how, while we are getting more, I'd say, like AI is becoming more immersed in the newsroom, how should newsrooms be thinking about designing these hybrid systems so that they are enhancing the work of the journalists with the current technology? Yeah, I mean, that's that's great. You know, I, I think a lot about human-computer interaction and how to build interfaces that are powerful for, for people to use. You know, I think there's somewhat well-established ways to think about human-centered design and design-build evaluation cycles. I mean, I think that maybe the interesting twist to think about for, for journalism on some of those human-centered design models is like, how do you incorporate values, newsroom values? So thinking about newsworthiness values or just thinking about things like core principles like you might see in the in the code of ethics of society for professional journalists, like seek truth and minimize harm. Like how do you think about designing those into a system that then can incorporate AI and ensuring that the AI itself is in line with those core principles and that you know how to specify metrics and collect data to ensure that the system is aligned with those ideas and so on. So I think that's that's an important notion. And then another thing is just to think about human-centeredness as a way to really think closely about the impact that these technologies are having on the workplace and the work environment and the work quality. Like, what is the work like for individuals? Is it still personally meaningful? Do people feel like they have creative expression? Do they have autonomy in their in their jobs, in their ability to pursue ideas or express things the way that they find meaningful and important? And so really taking a close look at what are we building and let's talk to the people about the technology and how they want to use the technology. And let's try to reflect that back into the design of the tool of the system. Let's not treat the technology as something that just fell off a tree somewhere and we have to use it the way it came, but something that we can shape, something that we can iterate on, and something where we're deeply respectful for the role that people are, are playing and are being asked to play in these larger socio-technical systems, which allow us to produce news information. 
I really like that we have the opportunity now to also refine, reshape with the journalistic principles, how we are using AI. And that's something we need to think about a lot more. And talking about that in terms of like algorithms, when we are reshaping with journalistic principles, one of the biggest questions is about recommendation algorithms. A lot of people are thinking now about how you can personalize content for your audience. It's something that social media companies have been doing for a really long time, but maybe don't have the same maybe ethical dilemmas that we would be having as an industry. And when we are building this journalistic newsfeed for the future, how should we think about personalizing it to our audience, but also upholding our editorial values at the same time? Yeah, I mean, this is such a such a complex topic. Actually, there's a, a workshop going on or that happened yesterday in Singapore on normative values and news recommender systems. So there's there's a growing kind of community that's really thinking really, really closely and carefully and researching uh, these kinds of topics. Yeah, you know, I definitely come back to the the value centered idea here. I think newsrooms, as they're thinking about recommender systems, they kind of need to identify the values that they want to prioritize in the content and then to find ways to measure those things and then encode that algorithmically into the recommendations themselves. And I, I also don't think there's like one size fits all approach here. You know, what makes sense for a commercial newsroom in the U.S. may not make sense for a public service newsroom in Germany and vice versa. And this is, I think, also connects back to the idea that, you know, news organizations should be careful about how much they depend on technology that's designed and built elsewhere. So if we really kind of take this idea of journalistic independence seriously, I think you need to just think really, really closely about whether or not you want to take something off the shelf from another company that's, that's not adapted to your value system. Or maybe there's a way for you to refine that technology off the shelf. So it's fine-tuned to your specific newsroom values. But to be really careful about being overly dependent on technologies that are kind of out of the box, designed and defined by other entities. So I wouldn't expect a newsroom to take the newsfeed algorithm from a social media company and say, yeah, this is the algorithm that we want to use for news content. I would expect them to want to either have a completely different algorithm or the same underlying algorithm with maybe somewhat different criteria that they use to optimize for it. So it's kind of balancing that fine line between technology and editorial um, and seeing how our values fit in between them. And how do you see this moment of like working with generative AI is really different from all of the your past research and experience with AI? Where are you seeing the future is headed towards? Yeah, I mean, I love this sort of forward-looking exercise. And, you know, obviously AI has been going on for a long time and, you know, at least 10 plus years in newsrooms and we're in, we're in a bit of a hype cycle, but we might be underestimating a little bit how much that this latest generative AI stuff could actually impact not only news production, but the broader content ecosystem is actually what I've been thinking about. It's like, I see that there might be kind of a, a further bifurcation happening in the media ecosystem where you have a lot of lower quality content that's maybe generated content run by content mills that are just trying to scrape a few cents of advertising off of every generated piece of content they, they put out there. And I'm really worried about, you know, incentives around that, like, you know, private equity incentives towards automation, how that can play out 
On the other hand, I think, I think there's still going to be a high end of content, maybe purely human written or maybe AI assisted in such a way that the AI there is put in service of really increasing the value of the content, increasing the quality of the content even further making it more relevant, tailoring it, being more comprehensive for readers, all these kinds of ways that you can imagine using the technology in collaboration with expert humans, people who who know the content domain and know how to use the tools. I think they can level up the value of the content to the reader. And so I think we'll, we'll see like the rich will have great high quality media because they're able to pay for it. And I suspect the kind of the more average quality commodity content, the the overall quality will probably decrease on that because of the pressure from more towards full automation and and more using generative AI just to pump out as much crap as possible. And I think we could also end up seeing a kind of a further fragmentation of attention as things get progressively more personalized. So think about the trend in the technology for LLMs is that they're, they're shrinking. So GPT-4 went big, you know, they, they kind of worked from GPT-2, GPT-3, GPT-4, and it was big, big, bigger and biggest, and they'll probably be an even bigger next year. But at the same time, there's also this trend of like figuring out how small can we make it and have it still be useful and be able to output quality output. And it turns out you can actually shrink these things a lot to the extent that they can be run on phones. And like, I don't have any knowledge of this, but I would bet money on Apple training an LLM that's going to be local on your phone. That won't be a cloud service. It'll just, it's just going to run on your phone. And so imagine a media system where everyone has their own LLM on their phone and it's tailored to you and your interest and your demography and the, the things that you have clicked on. And so it's fine tuned to you. And so it could generate the exact headline that you want. Thinking about the media ecosystem, it's like, where does the news industry fit in that? I mean, the individual is control is in control of their own phone. Apple or some other tech company has created the basis for that individual to fine tune their experience on their phone. Is this kind of a new variation on the old idea of the filter bubble? Maybe, you know, the content, you know, maybe instead of the recommender choosing personalized content, the content itself is adapted to personalized. And that's not even, I don't want to make the claim that that's necessarily bad, but it could be, you know, particularly I think if the values aren't aligned between the model creator, the model deployer, like a news organization and the end user. Anyway, long story short, I think given the trends in the technology, it's going to proliferate. And I think the vast majority of what you're going to confront and see online is going to be synthetic at some point over the next few years. Thinking about the dynamics, how does the news media respond to that? I actually think that that could have interesting incentives and forcing functions on quality media of developing a brand strategy, developing habits where people come back to your site because they know they can get quality content from your site and they know they can get unique information. And that becomes the differentiator. Now, what does that mean for everyone else who doesn't have money to pay for that? hasn't established those kinds of media habits where there's a brand that they feel connected to and they're going back to. I do worry about that. I I do worry about the quality of information overall that people are going to get in the world. But I don't know. You asked me about the future and I'm just kind of riffing on that a little bit. Who really knows what's going to happen? But there's some of the some of the trends that I think 
play out. I think that's really valid. And I think it's important, as you said, we have to proactively think about where our position is going to be in the newsroom and how we are going to be able to differentiate ourselves from what's going to be online. Just before we wrap up, I always love to hear and get a bit more personal and hear about how AI or any chat GPT use cases have been making an impact in your life. How has AI been playing a role? So, I mean, like everyone else, I've been playing with these tools quite a lot. You know, in my work life, certainly for brainstorming tasks. It's been quite useful for writing. Or if I'm trying to think of a word, you know, I can use it to suggest alternatives for writing. In my personal life, so I'm just back from sabbatical. I spent the last year in Amsterdam. And I took seriously living in the Netherlands and wanting to learn Dutch to try to uh, engage in, in Dutch culture as much as possible. And so I took a couple of Dutch classes and I figured out you could pretty easily configure ChatGPT to be uh, like a Dutch tutor where I could chat in Dutch and it would also respond in Dutch and correct me if I had made grammatical mistakes and, and explain those corrections in English. So I had like a, like a nice tutor who could be bilingual with me. So that's been pretty fun. And, you know, I've, I've sort of toyed with using models to help draft letters and documents for different work tasks, though I've always found that there's just a ton of editing you always have to do when you ask the models to do that. And of course, they've played with some of the models that are integrated in Google Docs now with similar kinds of experiences where if it does produce something, maybe I end up retaining like a sentence of the paragraph it produced because it just needs such heavy editing. I think it can be useful, but I've had mixed kind of results in the kinds of tasks that I'm engaged in as a professor. It's certainly a nice starting point, I guess, for creating a draft of something. A nice first draft and a, and a great Dutch tutor. So yes, absolutely. <laughs> That's great. Well, Nick, thank you so much for coming on and answering all of my questions and giving us this perspective from a very technological standpoint on how newsroom should be thinking about LLMs right now and painting for us what the future could look like. So really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you for joining me. Thanks so much. I really enjoyed the conversation. That was Nick Diakopoulos, Communication Studies and Computer Science Professor at Northwestern University and the author of Automating the News, How Algorithms Are Rewriting the Media. This podcast is made possible thanks to the Harvard Innovation Lab's Spark Grant. I'm Nikita Roy, and this is Newsroom Robots. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.